I want Sting's MTV. I want Stuart's MTV. Not having anything of mine. I think that we've seen a lot of bands around now that by listening to them, you can hear that they've been influenced by you. How it took that... a long time, though. I mean, it, I, I was, I mean, like Elvis Costello was not nearly as successful as we are, but he had imitators very early on. I don't know whether it's because it's more difficult to imitate or what, but there was a much longer time coming, and now that in the last six months there seems to have been a floodgate opened, and a lot of groups sound just like us, which is why we no. have to shift and do a different right, do, do a different style. I don't agree. I don't think any group sounds like us. This thing has been doing other things. How long do you think the police will continue as a unit? <laughs> we'll probably break out tomorrow. This is another episode of That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba. It is wonderful having you all here. I'm in my home, and I have a guest here in my home. And not just a guest, a friend. A friend of mine and a friend of the show. Welcome to the show, Mr. Russell Mofsky. Welcome to the show, Russell. How's it going? Hello. It's great having you here, Russell. Russell is on break from his teaching gig, so he's just, you've got summer, you're like in summer vacation mode now, right? I'm, I'm getting there. This is helping. Yeah, good. So, uh, you know Russell, you know him from uh, Gold Dust Lounge, you know him from Quit, uh, King Friday, who else, who else, anything else of note I should mention? I don't know, that's pretty good. <laughs> is the best place, if they go to golddustlounge.com, is that the best place to that's good. fill up on anything yeah. Russell Mofsky, Mofsky adjacent related? Yeah, I think yeah. so. All right, golddustlounge.com. All right, let's get get rid of all that. That's out of the way. I'm I'm excited about the album you picked, and I was surprised when you picked it. And then when I thought about it, I really wasn't surprised because just because of, of knowing you and and your age, and you know, uh, what are you saying? No, well, but because uh, <laughs> <laughs> this album came out when I was ten, but I I did turn eleven that year. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, see, that makes sense because maybe if I were to pick an album by this band, I'd probably maybe pick an earlier one because I'm a little older than you. Yeah. So that's how it works. I could have done that too, but this one has a special place. I figured it did. All right. So what are we, what's the album and band we're talking about? Okay. We're talking about The Police. We're talking about Ghost in the Machine. Yeah. Their fourth studio album. Yes. And they only did five. They only did five and The Police were one of my favorite most listened to bands all of their albums from Atlando's Regatta de Blanc oh really I was not really a fan of Zenyatta Mandata and uh, I didn't didn't even notice until yesterday when I read about it that Ghost in the Machine was the first album title in English oh right which made me go see what like Zenyatta Mandata is not even in a language is it I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. no, I think it's yeah, so. yeah. And I would say, I, I would say, I, I agree that maybe that's their weakest album. But I could also, which I've said many times, they've never really put out a a bad record. Correct. Right. That's true. Yeah, and and they're really they're an amazing. The more I think about Police, which by the way, this is the first Police record I've done on the show. Oh, it's been cool. almost five years, and we picked the first one, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. Uh, but they're like they're one of these bands that sort of are a band of themselves, right? They're different uh, than so many other bands, and they're really they're a band that's 
very reliant on all each member. You know, like they couldn't. You feel like they couldn't be the police if it wasn't for those three guys. Yeah, and they were they were also in a way three solo artists. Right, right, right. And and uh, you know when you if you delve into any you know research about the band, you learn very quickly that there's they were. It was not easy to be in that band. Oh, no, right. Yeah, because, yeah. Well, to be in a band with Sting, by the way, anyone. Could you imagine? I think all of them. And, and there's <laughs> right. some, I mean, there's some great quips, like where, you know, even on this album, like where Andy Summers will talk about one thing and then Stuart will immediately contradict him. Yes, right. <laughs> exactly. But, but, but in you know, in, in junior high, uh, I think there was a, v- like when, VHS was popular. You'd go to the store yeah. on Friday. You'd get your VHS tape for the weekend that you'd rent. Oh, right, right, right. And I right. think I think it was called like the Police Around the World. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the VHS, and I think I got that like that was one of the videos I would get every Friday. Oh, really? I'd watch it every okay. week. Ooh, someone told me yesterday. Because it's not, I just noticed it was on, but I had to pay, like, I had, it wasn't free. I had to pay for it, so I didn't get it. Yeah. But I noticed you can get it on, I think it's on Prime. Well, I haven't seen it in a long time. It'd be interesting to see it again. Yeah. Um, All right. So I didn't realize you were a police fan, like, uh, you know, from the beginning, since you were like a kid. Yeah, but I could just sum it up with two words Stuart Copeland. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, really, for me, he's the driving force and he's the most attractive part of the band to me and the, and the sound is his drumming and his choices and and yes. uh, it, to me it all starts with him yeah I know and, and just listening you know really digging in and listening because obviously I know this album I know all their albums and yeah. I just know them but really when you really listen to them what an amazing drummer and one of the few drummers where you could say I guess Keith Moon is another one that had their own distinct styles and when other drummers try and play like them it's usually bad yeah there's, <laughs> I was trying to think like well who plays like him since then I can't think of anybody I, I thought know. of Brendan Canty who famously played in Fugazi Oh right, right, okay. right. He's he's like uh, got an individual style that's maybe maybe influenced by right, maybe a little bit, and a great drummer in yeah. himself. But yeah, Stuart Copeland was a singular totally. Like because the things he does shouldn't even work. I, I, I'm the, I kind of talk about. It. I was like over the guitar solo in Invisible Sun. Uh, he he just plays a ride cymbal, like he plays uh, uh, just a, he keeps the beat on the ride cymbal. And then, like, every couple of measures he hits, he accents the bass drum in a crash. Right, Like, there's right, not even right. a beat going on. Exactly. And there's so much. Some songs you'll think it's like a real, it's driving, and then you'll say, what, he's not even playing the snare. He's just hitting or he's the not, hi-hat. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's like, uh, yeah. So we'll dig into all that. So this, and, and so this album, so you picked this one because why, though? All right. So it's my favorite one. It's the most fleshed out album of theirs. I mean, I think that um, some of the things that it 
that I was attracted to and are actually some of the things that made it really contentious and a lot of reasons why a lot of critics panned it or not panned it, but just dissed it at first, part primarily because of a lot of overdubs. I think it was a, it was a real studio album yeah. in a way that the previous albums were kind of just them recording as the band. Right. The evolution started with the the trio, guitar, bass, drums, vocals, and they pretty much played the songs in the studio as they would play them live. Right. And then with each successive album, they would they there was more overdubs coming in. This one I think was really the it, you can really hear the uh, the. The through line to synchronicity, yeah, where yeah. I think Sting was really taking over, and or at least asserting himself, if not you know taking over, but he was asserting himself, right? And his ideas about arrangements, but I think it's it's just it's got um a sound to it, it's got a vibe to it, it's a, a tense album. It opens with uh you know like it's it's a little unsettled. Yes, yeah, um, I all agree. the way through, and when I was listening to it. I was listening to it in the car driving home from or, or some Orlando or someplace a year, a year and a half ago when I was thinking about how timely the topics of some of the songs were with the times we're living through now. Right. Um, and surely this was written as there as England was entering, I think, the Thatcher era and the Reagan era and politically what that meant for the world then. I was a kid, so I had no idea. Yeah, well, this is 81. I didn't mention it came out in October 1981. Yeah. So I think that hearing it in the context of the politics of today, the world of today, really made me think back to, to that time period. And a lot of people say that some of the political things happening now were started then, really. Right, it started right, at right. that time. Yes. So. It was it, the beginning of the end. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in a way, it feels like that, right? It 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 just feels. Uh, it still feels unsettled. So it yeah, really, yeah, yeah. now the whole album isn't like that. But it uh, no, it's not because that's the one thing. All right, so the one thing I I always come back to with the police and with Sting because Sting's an easy guy to hate. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, aside aside from anything else, just because he's super good looking, super talented and, yeah. you know, a rich rock star. Of course, you know, I automatically would hate him. Of course. Uh, but you got to um, his his ability to write these songs where in a way some of the lyrics are could be simple, very simplistic, almost seem like childlike, but they get uh, they get a point across. And to write these songs that are both sophisticated, but you know right away, it, it's a hit. That's a hit song. That's a pop song, you know? And it's like, I always tell people, that's like the hardest thing to do, like least, write something it, like that, you it, know? It's true. Yeah. And there's so many songs like that on, on all the records. They have it. And all the records, you know, they'll have some more experimental songs or some songs, but you know they're always going to have, they were, you know, they were always going to have these songs that were going to be radio hits. And you, know, you were going to love know, them as soon as you heard it. You know, the experimental one is... Was written by Andy Summers. Yeah, like yeah, the, right, like, right, exactly. <laughs> and then the weird, goofy one would be Stuart Copeland's. Yeah. <laughs> but Sting rejected the lyrics, so yes, yes, you know, yes. At least on but, the uh, one but, here, right, right, right. But um, yeah. So you can't take that away from him. But he also needed, as you know, by I've I've never. I mean, you know, see his solo stuff. I've never you know, listen too much. I mean, I've heard some of it and, but he needed to, to become the police. He needed Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland. And you could hear the whole, uh, 
the whole studio, whatever was going on for this album, you know, uh, him bringing in, wanting to do keyboards and horns and Andy Summers uh, fighting basically to get his guitar in there. Right. That's what kind of makes their record so great, too. There's a lot of tension in this album. Yeah, there is. It's, there really is. I think that's part of what made it so good. Right, right. Yeah, I think so. So this, uh, we should say this mark, this album marked a change. Uh, they used to have Nigel Gray uh, worked on their first three albums, and now they had you, Pageant. Pageant, Pageant? Yeah. Pageant. Pageant. Uh, and he started, this is the first album where they didn't, even though they, even if they played together at the same time, they weren't in the same room. Correct. They would put Stuart in like a living room with his drum set, Andy would be in the actual studio proper, and Sting would be in the control room on his bass. Right. So, right, but, and then it's also amazing to listen to it and think these guys weren't in the same room. No eye contact. Yeah, but some of these songs, it's like, you, it just shows how great musicians they are that they could still sound like a, such a, a a badass band playing together and they weren't in the same room. Right. Yeah. yeah. I remember I, I there was an interview one time where someone asked Sting, well, do you think, uh, this was when I think they were recording the next record, which they did the same way in different rooms. Do you think that takes away? He goes, well, when we start making b- bad records, you could ask us that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, you know, it's like, right, basically, yeah. However we do it, it's I think a great that, record. I Don't think that, that Sting and Stewart were were type A smartasses, and Andy, I'm not sure about Andy. Yeah, but he had, like you said, he, he gave as good as everything. He was obviously more, obviously, how could he not take the background role and the third role in the band with having these two, like you said, type A personalities in the band? But still, he was someone, I mean, because he was an older, he Andy. Was, he was older. It was like he almost was older, ten years old. And he had played. Older. He played with the animals with Eric. The the new animals with Eric Burton. When you were younger, did you have a record shop? The only doll you ever owned. But you can cheat me. Played the with uh, this like this like pretty popular jazz band in the 60s in England so he had been around the block already he had already been to Los Angeles and then back to England so yeah he was uh, this was and and that's the other funny thing about the police was that they came out in 77 at punk and they said well punk's big so let's you know dye our hair blonde and we'll be a punk band yeah and and it's great because that's when I first fell in love with them was Outlandos de Amor I heard Roxanne oh my god who is these this is a punk band whatever it was great Roxanne you don't have to put on the red light Those days are over You don't have to show your body to the night Rock And I was on board, but then uh, gradually you realize, you okay, they're, they're not really a punk uh, band, obviously, but uh, they're definitely not like any other rock band. Yeah, exactly. So in doing this record, I was reading about the critical reception, and, and I saw that on the Village Voice, you know, they have their famous Paz and Jop. Yes. Top albums of the year. And I came in 25th or so, so they're around 25. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, let me go check that out. And and so, and, and also I, I couldn't help but notice that the first album was Sandinista by The Clash. Okay. And and that's, you know, an album that I'm, I'm not qualified to speak about. I know it's a triple album. At various points I've tried, I've started to listen to it and... I don't. I, I need like more context or something. But I. Yeah, but I read. Yeah. But in the case of you know trying to prep for this this uh, taping, I looked a little bit into it. But here's here's what uh, Chris Gow said about the police in his review. 
It's pointless to deny that they make the chops work for the common good. Both their trickiness and their simplicity provide con consistent pleasure here. But with drummer, manager, and booking agent, all scions, 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 of a CIA honcho, I have my doubts about their standing as a progressive force. Whether you're following in the old man's footsteps, offing the motherfucker, or striving for a livable compromise, roots like that leave you twisted, if only to the tune of a middle-brow cliche like Sting's, there is no political solution. In the kindest construction, their politics are as astute, liberal, and well-meaning as those of Pete won't get fooled again Townsend, who also needs reminding that we're not just spirits in the material world, we're also matter in the material world, which is why things get sticky. And he gave it a B plus. Okay. <laughs> now, now, so, so, um, I, I went back, I read something about his review of, of, uh, Sandinista. Right. And there's some interesting parallels here because Sandinista and Ghost of the Machine both topically are dealing with some of the similar elements right, in right. government and culture and politics. Right. And I, I never, I remember like, I, I don't know, as a kid, like, I don't remember anything about Sandinista being on the radio. Was no, it, was, and no, it, it wasn't. No, and and when you think about the like, I just got to bring the Clash up here, right? Because the Clash were the Everyman Band, right? Right. The police right. were not. No, no. Uh, well, I mean, they were like the they were like in a way like I think of like prep school kind of guys. Right? I guess so. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. And uh, and yeah. so I started thinking about like Christigal's commentary about it from that perspective. Now I think, I think reviews and especially album reviews then. Had, were different than they are now because because of the time and and music and musicians and artists especially musicians were seen as sort of they were going to speak truth to power yeah and, right and it was a, much more taken much more serious yeah and, and and it was written about with it with that in mind in yeah. a way that it isn't now yeah i know? agree i agree and i, I mean now you read about that with like tech companies or startups right <laughs> um, yeah not with bands i do think that the critical reception of this album also um that they they took a little bit of a beating for doing more of a composed studio album rather than a raw in your face Play I guess. it as a band album. Right. And also, uh, they're probably saying, well, how could it be that deep or important? Because it's getting played all over on the radio and it's such a huge album. How right. could it be and as this serious was the as voice. Sandinista? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, how could they help but say that, right? I guess. <laughs> but it, it just, it was, it was. It's ridiculous. That's the one thing uh, you got to put for me. I've always managed to put that aside for the police because they were just an entity unto themselves. And you got to appreciate them so. for what they are. Yeah, they're not, I mean, they're not the fall, <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. They're the fucking police. Right. <laughs> and all their albums are going to have hit songs on it. They're going to be huge. They're a monster band, but... There's going to be a little filler. Yeah, but that doesn't take away from how amazing it is and how they, uh, s some of the things they would do and how they would present it, no, no other band would present it like that. No, they were really a unique entity. Yeah. All right. So let's listen. Uh, let's listen to the first song, "Spirits in the Material World." There is no political solution.
like a hard song to like fade out on because I'm just you, I'm just we're just grooving it, grooving and listening right. to it. It has a fade at the end, so we just do it early. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what do you talk about first? Do you want to talk about the uh, subject matter, the lyrics? So, or about so we're music? already right into the uh, yeah. Subject matter wise, we're already right into the politics of the time and losing faith in in government and. Uh, politicians right. our so-called leaders speak yeah right. right and and but just the just the sound like you could you could listen to it over and over and then you focus like right then i was just focusing on Stuart copeland on his drumming in there but you could just focus on like sting's bass the bass line is like so that, whack it, i mean it's, exactly. it's a really interesting unusual well and it's like you said before line. the song right from the start it makes you feel a little off. I mean rhythmically like unsettled. It's yeah. got like an unsettled like I wouldn't even you probably know what the time timing is, time signature is, but I it's would have no four, idea. 4/4, four, but I think it's it just is. it's just yeah, that it's just the way they But it's play like a it. reggae 4/4 four, four, and it's syncopated. Like, yeah. And 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 then the the chords like I mean musically it says that this was the first it was all written by Sting on a Casio keyboard while he was in a truck. Right, right. I heard that, and then uh, right away from the start, um, Andy Summers was like, "Stings didn't want to have any guitar on it, no just through the keyboard." So they compromised, you know, which is really hard to even tell what's a guitar and and what's the keyboard in that. Oh, he's drowned parts. out a bit. He's, yeah, a lot. They now, are. I will say, I think that texturally, it makes musical sense to have the guitar there. Yeah, and I, and, I agree. and so so like it shouldn't really. I mean, like. To have to go through whatever they went through in the studio to just I know right? like that that should be a compromise <laughs> exactly shows yeah. you kind of where Sting was at exactly right yeah and then uh, but the, and that's another thing I appreciate like I, I faded out just when uh, his little Andy Summers little part coming in there and a lot of his guitar parts on this album aren't out front in your face they're pulled back but that's kind of cool because it makes you pay attention to them more and really listen yeah. to them more and they and they fit in with the songs and it's like again that's pure the Andy Summers and the police right? yeah I think so now it's gonna I know eventually I'm gonna ask you but I might as well ask you now how much uh he influenced because I know you take influences from all over the place from all different guitar plays but I'm I'm sure You've gotten influences from Andy Summers, and you've uh, and you've just picked up, even not overtly, but uh, osmosis by osmosis, just I'm listening sure. to the police. Yeah, I mean, like, like uh, he's not one of my favorite guitar players to listen to, right? But at the same time, when I was seventeen, the first solo I ever learned was one of his solos from Synchronicity. Oh, okay, nice from that album, right? Uh, you know, he's 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 as a guitar player, he. Uh, I associate him with like guys like Robert Fripp and this sort of ex- kind of experimental pop right. jazz school that never infl- never interested me. Right, right, right. I was like, but he- but, but he's he's obviously very good. <laughs> and he has a minimalist thing about him, which you have too. He's he's not a typical rock guitar player. No, not at all. But he knows, which is the same thing. I one thing I've always said about you is you know when not to play, and you you're very good at sometimes being holding back and being you know, and that's something I that I feel like you probably picked up not even knowing it, but that you picked up not just playing all over the place on everything, but sometimes being very subtle and being laid back, and and that's something that you could say is is his one of his trademarks. Yeah, you're very kind for saying that. Thank well, you. Well, you know, I'm I'm a, a contrary to whatever flattery says. will get you everywhere with me. <laughs> contrary to what everyone says, I'm a nice, kind guy, most, and clearly a good listener. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but and like we said, also the the baseline is incredibly complex. Uh, but 
the whole song. It has a kind of barely hold held together a precision to it. So, something like that. I mean, it's just really like <laughs> it. It feels like it could fall apart. Like that. Ba- like it's not really doesn't feel strongly rooted rhythmically. Right. <laughs> if if Stuart wasn't there, I don't know that how that would work. Right. 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 Um, and then speaking of that, we get, let's listen to the second song, which now that you get into the pure, like, just pop, like I said, sting wrote, which I didn't realize this was originally, did you know this was an acoustic ballad that he had written when they, before they even formed? I read that. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that initially until right. I did the research. All right. Let's, we'll talk about it after. Let's listen to every little so thing Yeah, so I guess he had written it uh, before the uh, the police. They were known as Strontium ninety, and this was like a, a demo. So he brought in a demo of this. But did you did you read that like Stuart Copeland? They couldn't figure out how to play it. So what what I they they recorded it for this album Strontium ninety Police Academy, which was their album with it was the group of I think it actually had Andy Summers in it early on and. In, in, 76 the demo right and what i know about it is that this mike howlett was the pianist on it and then when they were they they recorded this album in montserrat at yeah right. air studios george yeah. um george martin studio yes right and and they they flew over uh uh john Roussel. so i don't know if i'm saying it right <laughs> and 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 then they could they they had a real hard time in the studio. There was a lot of arguing. Yeah, Andy Summers is really really pissed off. <laughs> right. Um, and then eventually they ended up just using the the piano from the demo. Yeah, using the piano from the demo. And then yeah, Stuart Copeland said eventually he just said, blah, blah, blah. "Fuck it, just play the demo and I'll play along with that." Yeah. And we'll do it. And it's like yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, and and it's like it's one of these, uh, like I said, it, it's one of these things that it's obviously. A hit, it's going to be a hit song. It's going to be a pop song. It's so goddamn catchy. But did you appreciate that? Like when you were a kid, like I know you're into other kinds of music and a lot of heavier stuff. Did you appreciate it then? Um, I mean, I must have because yeah. I was listening to this at the same time I was listening to The Replacements. And and I mean, this was sort of in the tra- transitional time when I was getting into punk rock. Right, right, right. But really, like what got me there again was Stewart's drumming. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm well, all, that's I'm even, all in for that. Like, exactly, exactly. And and I, and I can imagine thinking about it now, like if, you know, you're in a room and Sting's just like, okay, 
check out this bass line I've got. And he just plays those long sustaining notes. Right. That for if you're the drummer or somebody else, you're like, what the hell do I do with that? I know. Like, right. where, yeah, what's, where's exactly. the beat? <laughs> like, are you hearing what's the tempo? Right, right. You know, because it, it's just, uh, I can see how that, you know, if if they weren't able, I, I have to think that those guys could all express themselves, you know, in terms of, they all had experience in music. Sting played saxophone. He played in a jazz band as a saxophonist. Right. And he had jazz experience. They all had a lot of varied musical experiences. So I have to imagine that it wasn't like a problem that they could say, oh, I want you to play at, you know, this tempo. This is the, like I'm hearing a right type of, you know, subdivision, even though I'm playing these long sustained notes that that's not that, you know. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, the proof is in the pudding. And this was the single that they released in the U.S., but surprisingly, it wasn't the first single they released from the record. It was this next song, yeah, well, that I, they released in in the U.K. as the first single. I will say something that I think you can that you can a legitimate criticism of the album, and something that I've been thinking about is how they, you know, Sting will vacillate between, you know, really feeling the need to express himself about a topical issue right. or, or something going on in the world, right? Like he did on "Spirits in the Material World," like on the coming song "Invisible Sun," and on others on this album. But then in the middle, it'll be sprinkled with just sort of like a pop song. Yeah, like a real a, treacly, catchy yeah. pop song. But I kind of admire that in a way because it's like, it's not, that's what kind of, that's what makes the police the it's police. This, it's it's like a, a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Is it like a buffet? Yeah, there you go. But like a, a really good buffet, not like one of the, not like a Golden Corral. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, not Golden Corral. All right, so let's listen to the first UK single. Let's listen to Invisible Sun. like a dark song partially like about the troubles in northern Northern ireland Ireland. yeah Yeah. which i think is probably partially why they wanted to release it as the first single in the uk yeah so so also so this song brings up a lot number one it was the that was my favorite police song um my first favorite police song oh okay really okay yeah and and partly you know legit legitimately just because mtv and i saw the video oh right right and when i was a kid we didn't have mtv but my grandparents got cable so I, oh, nice. so when I was around 12, I would start, start going to sleep over at their house right. to watch MTV. Right, right. Must That was like, I'm sure my parents loved that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I 
Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the reason. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I learned about this was that you know, Stuart, so Stuart Copeland, and this gets interesting, right? Because he's considered, I think, I think he was like the initial founder of, you know, man, founding member of the police. I've, right. I've heard. Right. His, he's a, his dad was in the CIA. Oh yeah, that's right. And, that's right. And so for him, and they, and he grew up in Beirut. Yep. So for him, this he he says here for me the song is about Beirut where I'd grown up, um, which at that point was going up in flames. My hometown was being vilified by the media as a terrorist stronghold, and it was being blasted by bombs and napalm. Twenty thousand Lebanese were killed that year, and the Lebanese must have been feeling some heat from the invisible sun because they were keeping their peckers up. Oh, right. So it's a <laughs> right. quote from the year from 2000 and talking about what the song meant to him. Oh, okay. And okay. and that's because at the time that the album came out, there was a, a, a big war going on in, in Beirut and Lebanon civil war. And there's, there's a lot of threads to this that go like beyond this, that get into the Arthur Kessler, Arthur Kessler, who's the, he's a, an, the, oh, Arthur Kessler. Right, right, right. Yeah. The whole spirits in the material world and the ghost. Uh, yeah, because he wrote he about... He wrote Ghost in the Machine. G- right, and, right, and, right, and, right. And so like as part of my research on the album, I, start, I started reading a lot about him. And then like it turns out in like the 1940s, he was like... Uh, he was a journalist living in Palestine and he befriended a young revolutionary leader who, was, who actually had a price on his head in England named Menachem Begin. Oh, okay. right. Okay. So, so like, and and he who went on to be the uh, prime minister of Israel, you know, right, around right, this right. probably around this time, and had there was the, the peace accord with Egypt, and that stuff that I remember from my huge things I remember from my childhood. Right, right, right. right. That, yeah, that yeah. Like, and and to think that like so. There's just all these strands mixed up, right? And in it's this so album. cool that they're writing about this and that this is all weaved into this album, this 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 hit it's, album it's like by a, this really popular. Right? Band. There's like this other like <laughs> narrative going on inside yeah. it, and 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 you know, Sting was reading this book and what he was, who knows what he was thinking about, and right, so right. forth. So there was a lot of thought going in on it. Yeah, and there's some cool uh, Andy Summers. Uh, this is the song where uh, solos in this. Where if, yeah. you, if you fade in the solo, you've you've got just Stuart Copeland hitting the ride cymbal. Oh right, okay, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll play and that. And then the the, the the snare drum. I mean, uh, the kick drum and the cymbal. But yeah, he's just hitting on a drum like it. Like yeah, and it's like, how is that driving the song? But it is. It really does. <laughs> it's not so amazing. Wild. I know. It really it somehow also musically sets the tone for. You know the content of the, the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, and and I feel like I don't think any other band could have like a hit song with a song like this. You know, I can't picture. Could you picture I other band no, doing it? Can, no, it seems like the music industry now like you would never have a song that's exactly. like this. Yeah, it's true. It's just like a kind of a depressing. Yeah, exactly. Totally right. depressing song. Right, and right, key. right, right. All right, so I got to say, police albums, as I said, they never put out a bad album, but they're always going to have filler songs that you think, oh, it's 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 a filler song. And this next one is that it's like, how do you make Sting even more insufferable and pretentious? Have him sing in French. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, with that being mine, we have to listen to it. Let's listen to Hungry Free.
maybe it's just me projecting, but I could almost hear Andy and Stuart rolling their eyes. Playing I can see this. just like, this, like <laughs> exactly their head down and hands like, oh my god. But then again, the first two albums had French titles. Yeah, yeah, and, right. And right. it was probably Sting who drove that decision. Yeah, I think so. And he, but like I said, I don't know more. You know what? I, I don't I think, think he. We need- you know, I think he sings convincingly, but. I don't speak French, so if there's any French listeners out there who could comment on that, <laughs> just throw your comment in here. Okay, yeah, that's right. Let us know. But we're going to quickly pass by it. And I will say, um, despite it being filler, yeah, it's to, to me total like head bop and can, I can totally it still grow with, with this the song. Record. It does. Like it the, doesn't the riff, stick out. Uh, no, but, but yeah, the, the fits riff in. fits in and there's it st- it's still musical and there's fun <laughs> things that Stuart does. But you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, now we get Demolition Man, which I wasn't aware. Like, I knew about Grace Jones' cover, but I thought she covered it after. I didn't know Sting wrote this for Grace Jones, and she did it first. I do the tracks and the trains just coming. Strapped to the wing with the engine running. I learned that just from reading it. And right? Me yeah. too. Me too. Uh, which is, yeah, blew me away. But let's listen to their version. Uh, I'll play Grace's too, but let's listen to their version of Demolition Man. So basically, Grace Jones, this was on her album Nightclubbing, but they heard it and they said, that's, a, that's not that good. Uh, yeah. We could do it better than that. <laughs> like, Wait, we gave you this song and that's what you did with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Guys, guys we're doing this over. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, and it's cool. Uh, it, it is cool. The uh, syncopation, I mean, again, it's like a song that almost sounds like it shouldn't work, but it does. And it's still really strange. Here's the thing about this song. The riff doesn't change yeah the right, song. right, like there, right there's just the riff what changes is how sting approaches the rhythm to his singing right so the the verses are very much on the beat da, 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 you know, when he's got he's when he's singing the lyrics um tied to the tracks and the train's just coming strapped to the wing with the engine running right but then like i hadn't even noticed it until i started re- was reading the lyrics but when when um, I'm a walking nightmare. I'm a, uh, well, when he gets to the co- to the chorus, yeah. When uh, he says "I'm a," that yeah. just those two two words 
it's it's like a fraction of a beat before you okay like right. i didn't realize it and so then, he changed so and he, he changes, he changes, it. And he changes everything the feel is, of it it's yeah. really syncopated yeah and man it's just infectious yeah it is right exactly yeah i'm a walking nightmare in arsenal of doom I, I can kill conversation as i walk into the room i'm a three-line whip i'm the sort of thing they ban i'm a walking disaster i'm a demolition man do you did you read up on what a uh, three-line whip was? i did i had no idea yeah no i didn't know what that was and uh while it's often assumed to be a reference to sadomasochism. It's, in fact, an right, allusion to, to voting instructions issued in British members of parliament Yep, <laughs> uh, when they cast their votes. And Sting explains in an interview, quote, whatever party's in power in parliament, if it's a really important vote, you get a one-line whip. If it's incredibly important, you have a two-line whip. And if it's monumentally important, it's a three-line whip. According to Sting, he never knew that his A-level in British constitution would, quote, bear fruit. <laughs> In a rock and roll lyric. Ah, there unquote. you go. Well, intelligent. He's a he's an intelligent world. This is guy. this is one of those songs where like Stewart's laying in just on the hi hat a lot with, yeah, and yeah, the kick right. drum, and then like in the middle of a verse, like you hear the crack of a snare drum, and you think, oh, here it comes, he's coming in, but then it's just one crack, and then it continues, and then he, yeah, just yeah, continues with the other beats, like a master of like he's bringing so good you at to that. The, he's bringing you to the edge, is what he's doing. I guess, and <laughs> but really like is. any other drummer you'd play with, you go, dude, what happened? Uh, did your snare break? <laughs> But you don't even think about it with him. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Really, uh, really incredible. And also, did you notice Sting's playing sax on this, but yeah. did you, he's not playing bass? Yes, I did read that uh, they had a guest artist on this well, album. No, Danny, it, it, Danny Quattrochi. Quattrochi, guest artist. Uncredited. His roadie. Well, it was his roadie, his bass oh, roadie. Okay, there you go. <laughs> So f- fuck him. <laughs> well, he was as good as, as Sting. He could play Sting's bass part. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to know why though. They did not the you know doesn't say why how how it happened that way. That maybe the, he wanted to play sax on it and they wanted you know because they, they did were a live still recording together. Yeah, so they said, oh, well, you well, just uh, a, a lot of the sax saxophone on this record. It's all Sting. All the horns are Sting. Right. I know. It's all which saxophone. Is really amazing. Yeah. And 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 I just assumed it would be it was overdubbed because most of them are harmonized. Right. Which, exactly. You know, as little arrangements. But stabs. maybe he wanted. I mean, it's a very simple, repetitive bass line. So maybe he said, Danny, just go ahead and play that, and I'll play sax over it. And they kept it, you know? Yeah. Uh, which is cool, but it's kind of uncool to not credit him, but whatever. <laughs> it is uncool, for <laughs> it sure. It is uncool. Sorry, Danny. All right, so we flipped the album over. So you had you had this as an, as an album, or were you CD already? I had this, this on time? cassette. Oh, on cassette. Yeah. Okay, so this was cassette time. So and, and, and I will say, like, it's a good time to just talk about the album art. Oh right? yeah, we that's didn't get right. into that because it was such a weird album art. And the I do first, I do uh, remember album that didn't overtly have their faces on it. Although but it, it did, it did, it yeah. did. And I just remember like before, um, before we knew it was their faces left to right. I think it's Andy Summers, Sting in the middle. Yep, and Stuart, Stuart. Copeland. Right. Um, it just reminded me of my alarm clocks, and and you know the because it looks like the the red of an alarm clock. Right, right, right. Kind of the way the those digital bars make up numbers. Yep. And um, so referencing technology, I thought all, this album as a kid was just like like it must be about something about technology because you know you've exactly. got that image which yeah which I saw I, I every day thing. in my I, bedroom. I was the same thing. I didn't autom- I didn't automatically know right away. Oh yeah, that's them. I didn't make that out. But what I went to right away when I saw it, I thought of you know how when uh you like on calculators or something when something gets messed up and it's just like random things yeah. and the ghost I'm press too like, hard on the screen and then you that's start the to ghost. see some, yes. that's the ghost in the machine. Yeah. So I thought like that, which who knows. But uh, yeah, really cool album uh, album art. Um, all right, so we do flip it over, and now we get. I call this the heavy horns portion of the of the album, right? Because they got three songs, but there's a lot of horns. A lot going of on. horns. Now, I will say, side B of this album is, you know, if 
if you were if you came up when we did and you didn't ever listen to side B, well, I mean, it's got a whole other world of sounds it, to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. It's really it totally different does. than the whole first side. Yeah. And this one is actually really cool. Is listening to too much information. This song, 40 years later, very timely. Yeah. Right? Because it's about what? Being uh, bombarded and overloaded with information, which that's that's our lives now. Yeah, totally. It's, yep. It was ahead of its time in that regard. Yeah, and, and it's cool because it sounds like that, too. It sounds like there's over, a like, lot too much coming going on, on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, actually, that's one of the things I really liked about this album because this, this album, um, I hadn't thought about this before, but this album came out when I probably got my first Sony Walkman. Oh, right, right. Right. So I was listening to it in headphones. Yeah. Um, and this is a very headphone um, friendly album. There's yes. a lot going on in the mix. And there's a, you know, back then I used to listen to a song and then I'd rewind it and listen to it again. One time I'd focus on what's the bass player doing or what, how is the bass and the drums locking in? And then I'd listen to it again and think, oh, what, what, what are the other elements that are happening in the song? Right. I right, just right. listen to it from that perspective yep. of the different instruments. And this is a really amazing album for that particularly side too because of all the horns yeah and also the feel of it again it still feels so loose and even though they're playing in different things it sounds like this he's also talking about being so overwhelmed with too much information being bombarded but it just sounds happy-go-lucky yeah yeah right exactly which is cool it's cool yeah. and, I, and the way he sings it in it is great the way he crams it's, uh i will say it crams the lyrics you gotta give there. some credit to that because it's 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 very easy to paint with black Right in music, right and in art, right and, right, and right, express right. all the sadness and the depression, delusion, whatever that comes out that you hear a lot of on this record. Yeah, but it's not easy to not make it sound like a total downer, like yeah, a Joy to, Division to, album. Just, <laughs> just to make it sound like joy. Yeah, exactly. Right, and there is a there despite everything that we you know that you know is going on interpersonally with the fraught relationships in the band, even at this time. They did. They were able to deliver on the joy of. They were. Music There's together. so much joy in their playing, and a big part is Stuart Copeland, like you said. I is, think so. Brings that. I think he, he, he must have been joy. the bridge. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think probably. All right. So this next one, this is you had mentioned this. Uh, Stuart Copeland brought in the song, but Sting didn't like his lyrics. <laughs> Shocker! The singer doesn't like the drummer's lyrics, <laughs> but uh, 
let's listen to it's still it's a cool song and i think they did a good job uh collaborating let's listen to rehumanize yourself Musically, you could tell this is Stuart Copeland's song, right? So, well, you start. You, it opens up with that, like what we just, what you faded with, right? This sort of tense, uh, the saxophone line and the guitars that's yeah, sort of yeah. bending a note, right, it's, right, it's, right. It's a little unsettled, yeah. But then jumps into just this groove of a like a. He had like more of like a new wavy, a cartoony yeah. a group type groove thing. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, which is cool. And I like. I mean, the lyrics are cool in this one. I will uh, say, I, so this is this is the song that made me actually want to do the album. Right. Oh, for, okay. For, for the podcast. When oh, I, nice. Right. So, so, and and you know, it was probably it was a, a year and a half, two years ago. Yes. When I was. was starting to think about this, right? <laughs> and just the lyrics. Um, he goes out at night with his big boots on. None of his friends know right from wrong. They kick a boy to death because he don't belong. You got to humanize yourself. Policeman puts on his uniform. He likes to have a gun just to keep him warm because violence here is a social norm. You got to humanize yourself. Well, right away, I think like I started thinking about this not long after uh, George Floyd and oh, right, and right, like right. what was our, our country was going through. And but then further it, he in the in the, the next verse, I work all day at the factory building a machine that's not for me. There must be a reason that I can't see you've got to humanize yourself. Billy's joined the National Front. He always was a little runt. He's got his hands in the air with the other cunts. You got to humanize yourself. So the National Front was is a neo-Nazi or right, right, political right, party right, in yeah. Britain, and I, I just I could see the combat boots and uh, the marching and skin, skinheads, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so while like there's you know, growing up in punk rock, there were you know there was that element at the Cameo Theater when I would go see shows and yeah. causing trouble. Right. Just knew to stay away. Um, the violent then, assholes that just wanted to like, but, uh, like yeah, yeah, just and and now you know now more recently, sadly unleashed, you know, and, yeah, and, uh, exactly, exactly, and, and he's and you got to give him again, you got to give him credit. The lyrics are pretty simple, but he's really good at taking 
simple lyrics, but hammering home the intent that he's trying to do and, perfectly. And I'm going to give it to Sting on this one. I'm pretty sure his lyrics are better We're than better. Stewart's. <laughs> Probably. I mean, <laughs> when the wombat comes, you will find me gone. Yeah, He will exactly. look for a place to sit. It'll, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that was a Stuart Copeland song from Regatta the Black, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're exactly <laughs> My wife right. just... I think you're probably... Right. Love, yeah. Stuart, if you're Stuart, listening, we love you, love man. You. We do love you, I but did, maybe... I did really like that video he did recently where, like, part of it, I posted a clip of it where... Um, he he starts playing a saxophone and he's talking about jazz and, and he really disses hard on jazz. Oh yeah, that was I thought, great. I, I love it. I mean, it. Yeah. I, I thought he was being <laughs> facetious in that. Man, I had some friends that really begged to differ and then it caused some trouble online. I saw that, but but uh, <laughs> I I choose to see it with a sense of humor now. Maybe I'm wrong. He, I'm sure he can I be think a total so. asshole. No, I, I think he, but I, he just I think he's got his seemed really ass. funny. Yeah, oh it, it was hysterical. It was like a spinal tap moment. <laughs> All right, so this one, this is also this next one, One World Not Three, is kind of a retro police sounding one because it sounds like it could almost be on one of their earlier records. And, and I think that yeah, that's true. And I think that Demolition Man and and uh, One World also tie into the more um, lofty ideas that Sting right, was thinking right. about. Oh yeah, yeah, because he's talking specifically too much information about, as well. Uh, right, uh, third world. He's talking about third world countries in need of assistance, and uh, basically that we should all just not think that way and just think that we're all one world together, which is a great, you know, you can make fun it's of it. It's great sentiment. It is a great sentiment. It is. Let's listen to One World, Not Three. Yeah, this is cool because aside from the horns, it definitely sounds like just the three of them playing. You could hear it, and and again, Stewart's just drumming. Killing it. You know, a lot of times when he when you think he's going to play a fill, he just stop doesn't. No, play. he holds back, and, and that's it's the so thing. great. And also, I know I've spoken to this with drummers before. I know Sam Fogarino specifically. You could whatever, however his snare he used in his sound. You could have ten different drummers hit it, and they're not going to sound like him. Oh, man, that, that snare! Crack. You hear? There's, think of how um, how amazing that is, right? With when you can recognize instrumentalists just from the sound of their instrument. Exactly. Now yeah, you yeah. don't you don't usually think of that with a with a, for a, I don't know. Sorry, drummers. No, with a drummer, I, I no, because they aren't really uh, <laughs> musicians. But yeah. <laughs> I said that, not Russell. <laughs> it's going to come out wrong no matter what. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, you, you know it from just, if you hear, hear the snare. Yeah, exactly. You know? his, and, and that's his uh, technique in admitting it. It's not, you know, uh, you know, it's not the engineer, you know, helped, but it's like, it's him. It's not the drums. It's the way he played the drums. Oh, totally, totally. Um, all right. So supposedly this next one, Omega Man, this was really interesting that A&M won, they heard this and they said, this should be the first single. And it was written by Andy Summers, no. so Sting said... Sting's like, no. 
<laughs> not hard, happening. Hard no. And it is such a great song. One of my favorite songs on the record. And uh, yeah, it's so good. So catchy. What a great uh, and, Andy Summers And song. thematically, even though it was written by Andy, it still fits in. It does. Totally. It and does. It, it, I, th- I think I started looking at a lot of the songs by Andy were... They were, uh, you all felt like, oh God, this guy's going to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> like they're all like somebody contemplating ending their life. Well, he's got a really, have you seen his uh, documentary, his police documentary I that he not. did? It's on Prime and you should watch it. I just actually watched it again. It's great. I love it. And basically, yeah, this was, he was dark. He went through some dark times and this was when he was at his darkest. So it makes sense. But let's listen to Omega Man. <laughs> Before we before we start talking about this, I have to retract retract my statement about the drummers because I was thinking about Ringo and Keith Moon and John right, Bonham right, yeah. and well, and exceptions. There's always exceptions there's some exceptions. To the rule. So sorry, drummers. So what Russell's trying to say is most drummers are idiots and not real musicians, but there are some that are. That's what Russell was trying to say. Okay, so this song, um, alternately while being you know a little bit about suicide. When it's the Omega Man makes me think that he's actually a superhero. Oh, okay, right. So, like, I, I this song always made me think of a superhero. But then you read the lyrics, and he's like, um, "Sit upon the edge. Should I make that leap? The edge of time closes down as I disappear." Right. You know, like. like well, he he was inspired by that Charlton Heston movie, um, Soil and Green. Soylent okay. Green. Oh, Soylent Green was equal. that. Uh, you know, sort of. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of his inspiration. Um, yeah, and just I, I love that sol- the solo he does because this is his song. He could have just done like a shredding oh, so thing cool. or something, but he did just this weird, cool. Uh, they put a flanger on it. Yeah, it's, just, it's so it's just cool. like a repeating part. A, uh, it's a part, yeah. really. It's a I mean, part. He, he does like there are times when he solos, um, you know, like uh, Invisible Sun's got one. There's some other so- songs on this album. I, don't, I haven't paid attention if we heard it yet, but like where he, he's almost just soloing all the time. Right, right, yeah. But yeah, it, but right. he's but it's kind of the part. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so now we get this. I see Secret Journey is kind of a sleeper song on the record. Very much so, but it's awesome. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely because it's uh, it's very trance like and beautiful. 
and uh, and in a way classically police. Uh, so, but maybe I didn't pay attention to it as much back in the day, but I definitely do now. Let's listen to Secret Fantastic song, yeah. Chorus, that chorus is oh like God. great when it comes in. I, yeah, I, I realize that you know. I think initially as a kid, I, I just listened to the first side of the cassette a lot. Right, right, right. And I was so stuck on Invisible Sun, and, and that I would rewind it back after that. And then it, when I got to the the side B, finally I realized that this album starts and it just keeps going up. Right, right, like, right. Like because because right. you're not like if there's an arc in an album. This is the next to last song, and it's still going up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, and it's I call this this is the irresistibly earnest Sting because Sting has a way because it could easily be corny, and maybe you could say, oh, it is kind of corny, but he's really good at being earnest and spiritual. But it's still kind of it it kind of tracks and works. Yes, it does. <laughs> and so this song, um, according to Sting, the lyrical inspiration for Secret Journey was. A 1963 novel, <laughs> Matings with Remarkable Men, written by George Gurdjieff. And oh, okay. I don't know a lot about Gurdjieff. When I when I was starting to get into playing jazz, there was a bunch of uh, guys, friends of mine, who were really into the... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Into the writings of Gurdjieff. And and famous jazz pianist Keith Jarrett was very into it. Ooh. So I know a little bit, but not only that he was Armenian and a mystic. Okay. So Sufi, mystic. Right. Right up and, Sting's alley. You know, Sting, he was, you got to give it to him. The guy was searching. He was always searching. Exactly. He was thinking yeah. about things. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was like searching and he was literate about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So props to Sting. Uh, this is all about props to Sting. But then that Apple commercial, remember? Like everybody was well, really when I mean. we started hating him. <laughs> and also, ja- didn't he do a Jaguar commercial I think, too? Like, that was I, bad. It made me wonder like, okay, maybe he just got to a certain point where we realized this really is the way the world is. You exactly. Just, <laughs> yeah, lean, just it lean into and, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? Whatever. Uh, all right. Now we get a really perfect, to me, a perfect ending to the record st- written by Stuart Copeland. 
Uh, because it, I feel like maybe again, I'm reading into it, but I feel like it illustrates the feeling of, of the band. Well, I think it does darkness about what it feels like to be in all of a sudden a huge band, because, you know, one thing I was going to say, I've never, I can't remember another band that had a arc that the police had, because I remember the first album. I love that album. They came, I couldn't even go see them cause they were playing at fatless club, fat cat, fat cats uh, in Hollywood. And I yeah. wasn't old enough. It was their first American tour, but they, I still have it. If people want it, message me, I will give it. I have, they played it, broadcasted over the radio. They're set. It's amazing. She and our partners in concert, Bush beer. Welcome you to fat cats oh. in Hollywood. Oh. You're live now on Florida's concert FM. So let them know about it. You gotta let them know you're live. We're about to bring on Florida's Concert FM is proud to present A&M recording stars, Andy Summers, Stuart Copeland, and Sting, The Police. Uh, yeah, it's broadcast live over the radio. Uh, and I, and I live think, at Fat Cats. I think when they played Boston, I know they played the Paradise. Yes, they did. I think they did. They play the Channel. I, they played the Rat. The Rat. That's what I was they thinking. Of. The yeah, and, I mean, we think about that. Like when I know when I when I mean when I moved to Boston in '94, the Rat was still there, and you went to the Rat. It was just dirty. Right. And small. Oh, yeah. No. So they played. And you these think little, about like you yeah, know the so bands they, that would have played there. Like yeah. And so they the came and played the little clubs. The next year they came, they played a theater. The next year they came uh, for um, their third album, they played a bigger theater. Then they played an arena. They played the Sportatorium. Yep. And then they played stadium. the stadium. So, and a year. No to wonder year to they year. broke up. I mean, exactly. what a, that must have been a wild ride. Yeah, I think so. But this song sort of illustrates that, the feeling of it, like, uh, you know, and, and it's very honest feeling. And I think it's really a. Uh, Prop, uh, props to Sting for not changing the lyrics. Yeah, right? <laughs> All right, let's listen to Darkness.
Yeah, so the the lyrics are cool, but I feel like this this is a song where the where the vibe and the music of it transmits that feeling of being isolated and being satis- dissatisfied. It's just a, the music. It's right? a perfect closer. Yeah, it, I it mean, really it, it really is. is yeah. Like, and I, and I was thinking about it for this album. Like, the party is on side two. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you know, except right. Um, and then this is and the then party's over. Yeah, this is like everybody's left. You're looking at all the trash on the ground. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> it's. 5 a.m. The sun's starting to peak around the horizon, and you just feel empty, like yeah. all the cams on the ground. Right, right, you right. Know? Yep. And that's kind of where they were. Yeah, it really is. And they kind of, uh, and they did, yeah, they did one more album together. But this, I think, was the point when they, they, I'm sure they all knew at this point, we're not going to be a band for that much longer. I, th- I think so. I think that uh, one of the things about this record was I remember reading in one of the one of the sites that they picked Montserrat because Stuart Copeland said it was 12 hours from any record company. Oh right, and right, they were, right. They yeah. were really, really, I think in a contentious relationship with their label they, yeah. they wanted they, they wanted more artistic freedom right. um, and to do things their way and you know, it's they, still, the record company wanted Omega Man which probably which would have been good it would have it would have been it's a great it's song a lot it would have been a great single but they're yeah they're, they're just the kind of band that no matter what you just gotta say no matter what they went through the uh, contentiousness they still managed to make a record like this so it's really amazing right yeah it really is it is and it's great this was a great pick Russell I'm glad you picked it uh, you're our first police album yes so good for you alright so Russell uh, like I said before golddustlounge.com is the best place anything else you want to plug anything going on in your musical life I'll, I'll definitely play some uh, you want me to play on the, on the outro I don't know Play what you want. Play. <laughs> uh, don't forget, guys, uh, guys and gals. Uh, have you know I've been people, having problems? Friends. I just, I don't gender it. it, damn it. I can't help it. I'm a, of a certain age. Don't I get a pass if you're over a 55? Can't you We're just... out of passes, man. <laughs> uh, on Instagram and Facebook, it's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high. Uh, Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. If you want, just send me an email. Just put the subject line canceled. <laughs> and then I'll know what you mean. Uh, don't forget, if you want to become a patron like uh, like Russell Mofsky and like a lot of our great patrons, I really appreciate all of you. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. I would appreciate it. Russell, this was great. We're going to go, go, we're going to drink some more beer and get some food now, Let's right? Let's do it, baby. Awesome. <laughs> Thank all you, right. Rob. We'll see you all next week. Later. Later.